Welcome to Unbroken Jars. I'm Doug. And I'm Randy. And this is a podcast where we explore individuals' real-life stories and real faith. You're listening to Unbroken Jars, episode 35. Heaven, no boxes to check. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down or destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and His power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man. That's Jesus. Jesus continues to use these real-life stories of those around us to mold us. We dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories, their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in unbroken jars of clay. Rachel Clark is joining us today on the Unbroken Jars podcast. Rachel's a she's a longtime member from Mayfair and uh, a friend of my family. Uh, Rachel taught my children um, how to swim and a lot of other children in the area. Uh, do you have any idea of how many kids you've taught to swim? Oh, uh, hundreds, maybe thousands. Yeah, uh, wow. a lot. Uh, you at least have three in my family, yeah. and I look around in our classroom and I'm like well she taught them and them and them and I, I mean like half a church but uh, we also share one child that was born on the same day March we, 1st yeah we I didn't know that yeah yes. yeah her oldest and our middle uh, were born on the same day they cool. will be 14 in yeah. two weeks yep it's, it's coming so so we we have a long time history uh, together and um, uh, I appreciate you being willing to come in and be a part of this and share your story today. Join sure. us. Thank you for yeah. having me. And we and I, I think you've taught a couple of grandchildren, maybe. Kaylee. <laughs> Kaylee's kids. Kaylee's kids, yes. At the swim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we've and then just your kids being in the children's ministry and past children being there. We've known each other for a good while too. But and I think you even helped me on special needs. Uh, oh, yeah. Getting that mm-hmm. started, a special mm-hmm. needs program. Huh. She was h- helping with that. Yeah, so. I know that. I have a but background anyway. in, s- in special education. Huh. That's my master's degree is in special ed. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica said something about that. Mm-hmm. Jessica was like, I, th- I thought Rachel was doing special ed something. Yeah, I also have a board, board certified behavior analyst, which is BCBA hmm. certification. Well. Anyway, worked with kids a long time. That's cool. Uh, but it's great to have you today. And um, now, th- given there'll be a lot of people that will already know you that'll listen to this, but there's some people that may not know you, and I and I'm not sure of of everything about your like growing up years and everything. But maybe just for the sake of kind of getting started here, maybe tell us about you and your family, your growing up years, where you went to school, and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, I grew up in Mayfair uh, on the building, the building on Whitesburg Drive. Um, my parents are members here still, Dan and Linda Dodson. I have one sister. She is, um, a year and 18 days younger than me. So I grew up, uh, in Jones Valley. My parents still live there with my sister and that's it. And we, um, we were members at Mayfair. 
I was baptized, uh, I think I was 12 or 13 years old, by Gary Bradley in the old building. Um, pretty active in the youth group growing up, mission trips, um, you know, huddles, anything like that, retreats. So I've, I've always been um, active in the church, and that's always been something that's important to me. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of lifelong friends that I met uh, in the youth group here. So were you a Lee Milamite? Yes, Lee Milam was our youth minister. <laughs> the, the whole way through. The whole way through. It's uh, it's that's a whole nother yeah. podcast. We need to get Lee Milam on. He's one yeah, of those really yeah. interesting people that, well, as you get to know him, he's so funny and uh, just unique. It's it's pretty cool that he's raised this whole group. So, what school? What schools did you go to around? I went here? Um, to Jones Valley for elementary school, and then. Huntsville Middle, which is now Huntsville Junior High, and then Huntsville High School. Are you active? I mean, you seem like a sports girl. I yes. know that we've run races mm-hmm. and things like that. You're obviously swim coaching and all this kind of stuff. So, so swimming was my main sport growing up. Swam in high school. Um, swam competitively my whole life. Uh, and then, you know, once I got into college, I started um, deciding that I wanted to run. And so I started running. Um, and then from that, I decided, well, I can swim and I can run. Surely I can ride a bike. And so I started doing triathlons. And so I've completed several half Ironman triathlons. Wow. Nope. Um, and that's just kind of <laughs> evolved from there. Just, you know, my love for being outside and being I'm competitive by nature. And so that's kind of a way to fill that desire to compete. Triathlons, runs, half marathon is my favorite distance. Now, you were telling us also a little bit about your education mm-hmm. right before we kind of started. Tell us a little bit about your your college and, you know, you, you co- obviously came through Huntsville High. I did, and then I went to Auburn, um, spent four years getting my undergrad. I don't undergrad. know if I knew that. Yeah. I don't know if I knew. Did went to Auburn for four oh. years. Um, when I graduated with my undergraduate degree, I immediately went back to graduate school. Uh, no time off. And I got a master's in special education from Auburn. So that took another year, mm-hmm. and then after that, I moved to Birmingham, got a job right out of college uh, at a middle school there. I never thought that I wanted to teach in a middle school. I always thought I would be uh, better suited for the elementary age, mm-hmm. but I got into that middle school, and I never left. Uh, I taught four years in Birmingham. Uh, Pat and I were married and moved to Columbus, Georgia, and taught a year there in a middle school, and then came back here and taught at Hampton Cove Middle until my second child was born. And then I kind of went part-time and started working um, part-time at a place called the Riley Center. And that's where I went back and got a BCBA certification. And uh, the Riley Center is a private school in town for kids with autism. And BCBA means? Board Certified Behavior Analyst. Okay. And so I did a lot of that um, for several years. What does that entail? Oh, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, because I, I really am. I mean, this is uh, kind so, of a jet off here. But. So uh, it is. Um, so ABA therapy, applied behavior analysis, is something uh-huh. that uh, works really well for children. Uh, so a board-certified behavior analyst, um, we observe kids, write behavior plans, um, come up with different ways to do ABA therapy for, for yeah. kids. You know, mm-hmm. different therapies work for different kids, different Programs work for different kids, but the BCBA kind of is the overseer of all of that. And is that is that a um, is that a master's level? You have to have a master's level in um, order to get that, or is that? A, that's a great the, question. 
Thank you. That's what I try to do. Uh, yeah, that was 10 years ago that I got that certification. You have to have a college degree to have it, to get uh-huh. this. Yeah. I, I think you have to have a master's degree. Uh, uh, you do. It seems you do like have to have a master's would. degree. Yeah. Um, that was a long time ago. I haven't even thought about that. But I did all that online. That was all an online. Um, okay. It took, you know, maybe a year and a half to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, you have to have a master's degree and, and a field um, psychology or education or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you work in yeah. conjunction with the city schools. I mean, do you kind of partner? Were you partnering with them at that time? No, I was solely working for the Riley Center. Okay. Um, but did they? But there are there are agencies in town that do partner with Huntsville City okay. Schools, and I was involved with one of those um, before Pat died. But then when he died, kind of taking a step back from all of that. Mm-hmm. That's things change. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about um, how you met Pat. And y'all's relationship, where it kind of blossomed and began, and um, where that kind of happened. Okay. Um, how that kind of happened. Okay, I could talk a long time about this. So I'll try Fair. not. I'll try not to go into no. Go into <laughs> much detail as you want. Um, uh, we love love stories. But uh, but as we first um, have already talked about, uh, I swam growing up competitively, and so did he. And so we first met um, when we were young, seven six, seven, eight years old, somewhere around that time frame. He's a year and a half older than I am. Um, so that is where we first met each other. Uh, he was a kid that I swam with. That was a really great swimmer. Um, really great. He still holds some city records. He, he, really? was, a, he was a really good swimmer. Mm. Um, and he, so he was always around in my childhood. Mm-hmm. He was always somebody that I knew. Um, and he wasn't somebody that I would say that I just kind of saw in the distance. Like we were friendly. We talked to each other. I can remember conversations that we had as children. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where it all started. And then fast forward to probably my junior, senior year of high school. Again, he's a year ahead of me in school. So he was a senior, you know, and then going into his freshman year of college, we started, um, seeing each other more regularly, we would go to the movies or we would, you know, we would go out to a party of some sort. And, uh, we were both not swimming as much anymore, but that was still kind of what connected us, especially in the summertime. We were both in the same summer league swim team together. Um, but like I said, he went to college, um, when I was, you know, still a senior in high school. So he went to Georgia tech that his first year Mm -hmm. and that year he was gone. We would talk, I would say maybe, you know, every six, eight weeks, we'd talk on the phone. So were y'all dating? Uh, eh, we had gone on dates. We were not dating. We right. were not, um, not you exclusive know. No, in, by any, any means. He was okay. living in Atlanta, and I lived in Huntsville, and neither one of us had any desire to have any kind of serious relationship. Sure. Sure. Um, but when he did come home for breaks, Thanksgiving, Christmas, things like that, we would see each other. I think I took him to um, a high school dance that year. Uh, I would see him in Atlanta a few times throughout the year, and then he moved back home that summer. Uh, his his parents thought it was in his best interest to maybe come back and go to UAH and <laughs> not stay at Georgia Tech. Um, but at that point, I had already committed to go to Auburn. So we were together two months, and then it was off, off again. Uh-huh. Um and I was, and I stayed at Auburn for four years. And in that four year time frame, we became pretty close. Um, not dating at all. I actually had another boyfriend in college, but we would talk a lot. And anytime I came home, he would be the first call that I made. I'm coming home. Let's do something this weekend. Always just friends. 
Um, we saw concerts together. We we had a big group of friends that all hung out together when I would come home, but but nothing serious. And that college boyfriend and I broke up um, my senior year. And the first phone call I got was from Pat, <laughs> ironically <laughs> enough. And I said, how do you know that we broke up? And he said, good news travels fast. And I think we started dating shortly after that. And we oh, wow. were together huh. ever since. The, the whole time he was waiting for that, he was like, I guess. So he said in later years. <laughs> so was he still, was he, he was going to UAH He was here, going to UAH here and, and I was in Auburn. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. And then he went to graduate school as well to Alabama. Uh, just so happened that my first job was in Birmingham. And so I lived in Birmingham. He was in Tuscaloosa. We were much closer. Yeah. Um, much easier to see each other. So th- this was pre-cell phones, really. Oh, yeah. Landline. Yeah. Landline so, calling. So I, 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 I'm thinking <laughs> oh, yes. of my... I'm intrigued that that y'all talked that often mm-hmm. and you had a boyfriend. I mean, we talked when I came home. I let him know I'm coming home. Yeah, let's do, just to let's hang, hang out. out. Yeah. Okay. You know, Christmas break, he was always home because he li- he lived here. Um, so, so, so take us to the the point. So y'all started dating. Uh, take us to the um, point of where y'all eventually got married. Okay. So, like I said, he was in Tuscaloosa at graduate school, and I was teaching school in Birmingham. Okay. And he was getting ready to graduate from graduate school. His program was a little longer um, than mine, and he took five years to get his undergraduate degree. So we we eventually got on the same kind of timeline school-wise. You just keep going back enough. Yeah, right. (laughs) Eventually it works out. That's right. So um, he had told me um, when he was getting ready to graduate from graduate school that he was interested in joining the Army. Hmm. And when he told me that, my um, immediate, you know, early 20s selfish person thought, well, this will be the end of us. Mm. I will never see this person again. He's going to have to go off and he will, um, you know, go through all this training and he'll be deployed. And it just it's just not ever going to work out. Mm-hmm. I, I am not an army wife. That's not the life that I want. Mm. Um, but we had a lot, a lot of conversations about it. And he obviously did join the army, mm-hmm. and obviously I just decided to stick <laughs> with him. Uh, it was easier than than I thought it might be because uh, those first I don't even know how long, but it was a while. You know that that first year year and a half he spent doing a lot of training, but because he chose to go to school first, so he had his master's degree oh, and yeah. was twenty four twenty five before ever joining the army, mm-hmm. and so he had to go to basic training which was like a nine, 10 week, um, mm. you know, ordeal where I, I didn't speak to him. It was, you know, letters, uh, occasionally phone calls occasionally. Um, and then after that, he went to officer candidate school mm. and the only time you could see him, that was in Fort Benning, Georgia, Columbus. Um, and I lived in Birmingham and the only time that you could see your soldier was at church on Sunday mornings. And so his sister who lived in Atlanta, and I, who lived in Birmingham, would drive to Fort Benning to sit in an hour-long church service on Sunday mornings just to see him. Wow. And then... So when you say see him, could you visit for a while? No, nah, it wasn't much visiting, no. So basically you know, just to see him... It and was to see him. You sat in the pew with them. Um, you know, maybe a few hugs. We miss you. We're proud of you. Wow. Time to go. <laughs> Yeah. Did you not want to go sit outside <laughs> while they were preaching? Let's talk. Yeah. Was, this on, was this on base or was this at a church there? No, in? this was on base. Yeah, this was on base. Okay. So, um, mm-hmm. 
Wow. So yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten about that until until you asking that. Um, so then when he got out of OCS, he had to go to, um, you know, he, he had to choose what kind of officer he was going to be. So he was going to be an engineer officer. And so he went to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri for his engineer officer basic course, I think is what it was called. Um, at that point, he had pretty much a, a, a life and a job. So his job during the day was to to do this engineer officer basic course. Yeah. But he was at home. He had an apartment on, uh, you know, on base at Fort Leonard Wood um, at night. And so he could call and we talked every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about two hours. He had the weekends off. Mm-hmm. So it was about two hours from um, uh, St. Louis. I'm still in Birmingham this whole time teaching school. <laughs> and Southwest flew direct from Birmingham to St. Louis. And so there were a lot of, he couldn't come to me, but I could go to him. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of flights to St. Louis. Um, wow. And sometimes, you know, if I had a longer amount of times, fly to St. Louis, rent a car, drive, um, you know, drive for the weekend. So he could go as far as St. Louis, but not, you know, not super far. I um, laugh because I, this whole thing began with, I didn't. I didn't want to date an right. army guy. And now, <laughs> hanger flying here to St. Louis yeah. every weekend. <laughs> so, so here we are. Yeah. Um, and and again, this whole time I just stayed in Birmingham. Um, so, so coming out of his engineer officer basic course, he got orders to go to Korea, mm. and he immediately said, "I'm going to trade these. There is another guy here who got Fort Benning, and I am going to trade him, so that I'm going to take Fort Benning. He wants to go to Korea." I just think that's just a God thing because I can't imagine if he had had been sent to Korea um, because we were not married. Um, So that worked out and he moved to Fort Benning. And when he moved to Fort Benning, then I again was two hours from him and we could go, we didn't go weekend and not see each other. He Mm -hmm. would go there. (coughs) He would come to me or I would go there. Um, But uh, upon arrival at Fort Benning, he was told, we deploy in July. I think he got there, you know, August time frame. Mm-hmm. We deploy in July. So it was... Um, and what does that mean? I mean, He was going a, to Iraq. Okay. So at that point, we knew we were getting engaged. We, uh, we had talked about it. We had, um, you know, looked at rings. I had made it well known what, what I wanted. <laughs> this is what I want. Here's the shape, yeah. uh, size. Right. He knew. Um. And so we spent that year, you know, talking about what that would look like. Would we get married before he deployed? Would we not? Um, again, being the selfish girl that I was, I wanted a big wedding and I wanted a big party and we couldn't make all that work before mm-hmm. Iraq. And so I was stupidly unwilling to get married before we left. And that is something that he brought up through our whole marriage. We should have gotten married before I went to Iraq. He wanted to. I chose not to. Um, looking back, I should have done that just he he was more practical. What if something happens to me with, while I'm there? And was this give us a time frame? Like what was going on with this was after nine one one? No, the, yes, yes, yes. So mm-hmm. he, I think, um, I think nine eleven is what really triggered his desire mm-hmm. to start thinking about joining the military. Yeah. And then the fall of Saddam Hussein was um, was another big trigger. And I think at that point he felt. Um, it's funny that you asked that. Um, I read his, um, he had to have a lot of recommendations and he had to write a paper about why he wanted to be an officer in the United States Army. Mm -hmm. 
and he put in that that essay that he wrote, um, I have a desire to serve something that is bigger than myself and to make a difference. And I am an able-bodied um, American who should serve. That is my duty. Um, and so he felt pretty strongly mm, about yeah. that. Um, so that's kind of what prompted all of that. By this point, it was 2000, um, 2006. So he, we got engaged uh, about a month, about a month before he deployed. Um, he deployed on July 5th, 2006. Mm. He was gone um, a year. So there were phone calls, email was a big, yeah, a big thing back then. Um, I actually have every single email that we ever sent to each other, really, in a binder at my house. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Um, and he he came home for two weeks over Christmas. He got his R and R is what they call it. He got it over Christmas break, so he was home for two weeks at Christmas time, and then uh, he came home. July 3rd, 2007, and we were married August 25th of so that same year. he wasn't home long. No. You I planned the whole plan, wedding. Uh, I bet you did. I, I <laughs> planned the whole wedding. Um, at that point, again, I was still in Birmingham teaching school. I, I stayed put, and he went to mm-hmm. all of the different places. Um, but that year, I spent that year finding us a house in Columbus because that's where he would be stationed once yeah. he returned. Um, and so that's what I did. I planned the wedding. Found us a house, moved in. He came home to a house in Columbus. We got married six weeks later. So y'all moved to Columbus. We moved to Columbus, Georgia. Wow. How did y'all? How did you? Maybe this, how did you get back here eventually? How long was he in Columbus before he, y'all came back to Huntsville area? Okay, we came back to Huntsville that fall, the very next year, two thousand eight, oh, okay. yeah. uh, June of two thousand eight. So he had um, at that point. He had fulfilled his requirement for the active duty for active duty, and he um, got honorably discharged from the army. Uh, uh, his his choice to do so. Mm-hmm. We both knew that we wanted to come back to Huntsville. Our mm-hmm. families were here. Um, his parents, my parents, my sister was here. Um, we we knew that we wanted to raise our kids in Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I think, at that point, had felt like he had fulfilled his duty to serve mm-hmm. he he loved being deployed he did not love like the everyday ins and outs of being an officer in the army yeah um but he loved being a soldier more than anything sure mm-hmm. and so you know i think i think he felt like he had done what he had set out to do and that he had made a difference and that he um he also put in that um paper he wanted to be able to look back on his life and be proud of what he had done. And I think he really was, mm. he really felt yeah. that. Um, so anyway, he was honorably discharged. He joined the act, uh, the national guard. Um, and yeah. every, you know, once a week or once a month, he went for right. a weekend. And I think he was in the national guard. And Will was born. Cause if we have pictures of him, you know, in his uniform going hmm. to, to guard on the weekend. So he was probably in the national guard till 2011, maybe. Mm-hmm. Just kind of divert a little bit. So then kids came along. Maybe you know, we haven't really talked. Tell us, you know, you got children. Y'all have children. Maybe tell us a little about them. And we have three. Um, Will is our oldest. He was born March first of two thousand ten. Um, we had talked about having kids. He we we had planned for him. We wanted 
we wanted a kid. Um, we knew we knew we did. And so he was the one that we thought we are ready to, have, to be parents. Let's try. And it didn't take long and we were pregnant pretty quickly. Uh, so he came along March 10th or March 1st, 2010. And then a little, a uh, little over, Will was a little over a year old. And I found out I was pregnant with Lily, who was our second mm-hmm. child. And she was born, uh, they're about 20 months apart, Will and Lily are. And at that point we had our boy and we had our girl and he was totally happy with that. And I, and I was too. Um, but there was always a little something in me that said, I want a third, I want a third, I want a third. And there was <laughs> never any part of him that wanted a third ever. You want to stir the pie. <laughs> <and hook you. laughs> uh, but nothing was ever done to, to prevent having that third child. Oh yeah. And so, uh, and he, he actually really was a surprise to both of us. I think I had finally, I had gotten into triathlons, pretty yeah. big into triathlons and, I, and running, uh, was running a good bit and doing a lot of half marathons. And I had finally, I remember telling him, okay, we, we really need to do something about this. We don't need another child. Our youngest child child is out of diapers. She's walking and feeding her. I mean, it, it's easy. Yes. You know, life is easy now. Yes. Easy as it can be with toddlers. Yeah. Um, and we uh, went to a wedding and came home with Eli. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so he was born um, in 2014. So Eli is our youngest yeah. and he actually is, uh, we needed, we needed him and he, we, we have never once, uh, said, man, wish we hadn't had that third kid. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a lot of running around that a third one adds There is extra, but, mm-hmm. but it's interesting when you, you know, when you do add that one, it's, uh, you, you do look and go, oh yeah, we did need this. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, he is, um, he looks just like his dad. He loves just like his dad did. Um, mm. He he is his dad really made over, and so he's he's a real big blessing to my life. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, a little over a year ago, February fifth was a tough day. Tough day. Um, and that was when your life really changed. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that day? I know it's, yeah. Um, it's actually a beautiful day. It was a Sunday. Um, we were in church here, a family of five. We sat with my parents. Um, we were all here. I couldn't tell you what we talked about, what the sermon was about, but (laughs) I can tell you what we talked about in Sunday school. Um, we were in our, in our class, we're members of the faith builders class, and, and that January, we had started a study on heaven. Mm-hmm. And so heaven had been a huge conversation point in class, in the car ride home from church, um, at home that whole month. Mm-hmm. We had talked a lot about heaven. Um, we had also been attending a Wednesday night class that Noby Stone was doing, talking about, um, you know, how we know that Jesus is real mm-hmm. um, and the historical aspects of all of that. So yeah. we had really been talking a lot about how real this was and mm-hmm. this was a real person and this really happened. And, you know, there is a heaven and all of these things. So, so the last five weeks of his life, we really talked about that a lot in our mm-hmm. home. Um, so that Sunday morning, we kind of talked about what heaven would be like in class. That's what we we're talking about. And Pat said, 
on the way home, we were in the car, we were talking to the kids about it. We were just like, what do you want heaven to be like? And he said, um, I, I don't know what heaven will be like, but I know there's not going to be any more boxes to check. And he being in the military, uh, would draw a, a little bitty box and then write whatever it was that he needed to do and mm-hmm. he lists, but everything had a box and he, and he would check, put a check mark in that box when it was finished. And he told the kids, I know there will be no boxes to check. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, we got home. He, uh, his dad lives in our neighborhood. Um, I didn't mention that his mom had passed away briefly, uh, right after we got married. And mm-hmm. so we kind of dealt with that, that tragedy. Um, so it's just his dad, uh, still living and he lives three blocks from us. And so Pat said, it's a nice day. I'm going to take dad to lunch and then I'm going to take my car, uh, for a spin. I can hear those words. I'm going to take my car for a spin. Uh, it's the first nice day that we've had. I think it was, um, you know, 65, almost 70 degrees that Mm day. Um, and he had rebuilt a 1970 Mustang from the ground up. He did it all. He built the engine. He, um, Everything, everything. Mm-hmm. you name it, that car had his fingerprints all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's what he did. Um, and I went to the gym like I always do on Sunday afternoons. And and we kind of parted ways. Uh, Will, our oldest, was out with friends. The younger two stayed home. And I said, I'll be back in an hour and we're going to go hiking at the Land Trust. We'll be, I'll be back. So I got, I got, I get home around three o'clock. I don't think anything of it that he's not there because again, he was going to take the car out and he was home when I left and I was only gone a little over an hour. So, you know, I don't know how long he's been gone. Never did not cross my mind. He should be back by now. Um, but I'm standing, I can still see exactly where I was standing in my house and we have an, you know, an open concept floor plan. So, uh, my daughter, Lily, her two best friends and Eli, we're sitting on the couch in the den. They had been waiting on us because we were going hiking. Mm-hmm. Myself uh, and one of my very best friends who had gone to the gym with me were standing in the kitchen. And the phone rang. And I looked down, and it was a number I did not recognize. And I never, ever, ever answer numbers that I don't know Yeah. Mm-hmm. in the middle of a Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know who this is. And one of Lily's girlfriends looked at me and said, just go ahead and answer it. And I said, okay, I will. Mm. And it was the hospital. And my immediate thought was Eli, my young, youngest, had been in the hospital in, November, uh, in December having a, um, an EEG done. He has seizures, and he was having a little procedure done. Um, and so I thought they were calling me about billing. Mm-hmm. That's my first thought went to that. But immediately I was like, no, why is the emergency room calling me? Yeah. And they said... Your husband has been in a car accident. He's in critical condition. And at that point, I knew he was dead immediately. Mm. I threw the phone at my friend Kristen, and I went back into my bathroom and just lost it. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, uh, gathered me up and said, we have to go to the hospital. She, She had a conversation on the phone with whoever it was that had called me. She said, we have to go to the emergency room. Um everything's going to be okay. And I, I knew it was not okay. Mm. Um, I thing I hate about it the most is that Lily and Eli and her two friends, they saw, they saw the fear in my face. 
they knew. Um, but we made it to the emergency room. Uh, I don't remember a whole lot after that. Um, I do remember that on the way to the emergency room, we passed, um, we live in Blossomwood, and we have a, a lot of good friends who live in the same neighborhood. I'm best friends. Yeah. Raised our kids together. Yeah. We vacation together. Um, they are truly, they are family mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And we passed one of those families on a walk when we were pulling out of the neighborhood, you know, just right down the street from my yeah. house. And Kristen was able to roll down the window and say, Pat's been in an accident. I need you to go to Rachel's house. Several of the kids are there. Get them. And they did. So the kids were not alone for more than two minutes. Yeah. And, and an adult that they trusted and that they knew yeah. was there. Um, we get to the emergency room. They pulled us back into... Kristen remembers this very well, but it was a lady who had some badge on that said family services something. And I think when she saw that badge, she said, this is not good. The whole way there, though, I kept telling her. I mean, we were praying. But to me, I was like, we're praying a prayer that's already been finished. You know, this we're praying for him to be okay, And I knew he wasn't. Um. So they took us into a very small room uh, with, you know, very sterile and you're in the emergency room and it's, there's nothing welcoming about it at all. I know those. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a doctor came in and and told us that he had not made it, but that didn't, I already knew that. Yeah. Um, But the emotions that take over when you hear those words, the way your body reacts to that is something like I had never experienced before. Um, like vomiting, mm-hmm. uh, diarrhea, mm-hmm. just immediately your body just yeah. breaks down. So, and, and, you know, a cruel turn of events, you then, as your, you know, spouse, as being the spouse, you have to identify the body. You have to make choices of who you call. And it's people asking, who do you want to call? God, remember that. Who do you want to call? Who should I call? Mm-hmm. Mm. And I didn't want to call anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. And no. it, I didn't want to call anybody because mm. I knew how awful it would be for them mm-hmm. to hear that he was gone, you know. You know, Kristen was so good. She kept saying, we have to call someone. And I said, well, we can't call my dad. This is going to kill him. Mm -hmm. You can't call my sister. This will kill her. You can't call his sister. This will kill her. And she's like, we have to. I said, not not yet. Not yet. Um, You know, I landed on Lane (laughs) and Jason. We can call Lane and Jason. And we can call his best friend. And... I said, just keep calling until they answer. That's who we need to call. Um, but she had also called my dad, which she she needed to. I just was trying to protect him. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they, they all came to the emergency room. Um, I did identify his body. We talked to a few more doctors, 
all very routine. At that point, it was just kind of like a blank stare. There, uh, there wasn't much that I could say. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't much that I could really do. I remember being in that room, looking down at him, and he was still warm to the touch. And I just remember saying to him, you made it. Mm. You know, there's no more boxes to check. I remember saying that to him. And then leaving the emergency room. And when I left the emergency room at that point, you know, word had spread. And there were so many people. They wouldn't let them inside the emergency room in the waiting room. There were so many people outside. Um, what about your what about the, the kids? Were were they the at? kids were um, they were at a friend's house in the neighborhood, and you know, I can't imagine being uh, being that parent who it was one of Pat's best friends, um, and he knew that Pat was gone, and so he was trying to hold in his own emotions because he had. You know, my kids, his kids, a few other kids. It, it, there were a good number of kids there. Um, yeah. And he had to say, oh, your dad's fine, especially to Lily, who was calling my phone nonstop over and over and over mm. again. And she, she's like, she knew too. Yeah. Um, and he had to be like, no, your dad's fine. He's, you know, it's fine. Everything's okay. When it wasn't okay. But we got home. Um like I said, Jason and Lane were there. Those are the ministers here at church. Um, and we sat on the couch, and we finally, at that point, I said, "The kids, the kids need to come home. I need to, I need to talk to the kids." And they came in, and the three of them sat on the couch. We have an L-shaped couch, so it was. You know, my three kids and me and Lane and Jason. And I told them, you know, that he had been in an accident. Um, and I told them that he didn't make it. And then I said to them, this is not God's fault. Mm-hmm. I want you to know that this is not God's fault. And they all three reacted differently. Mm-hmm. Lily completely broke down she could not be consoled Mm. there was no no consoling her she kept saying he's my favorite person he can't be gone he's my favorite person elon didn't say a word Mm. no not one word would not even he didn't even move he was so stiff Hugging him was like hugging mm-hmm. just it, he didn't move, he didn't say a word, he didn't change the expression on his face, nothing. And Will said the last thing we did together as a family was go to church. <laughs> and that was it. You know, the rest of the night there were people in and out of our house. Um people from the church, people from the community, um, so many people. Mm-hmm. But not just people for me, 
people for my kids. Yeah. They had so many friends. And mm. they just stayed and stayed. Lily, uh, she went straight to my room and would not come out. And she didn't leave my bed. Uh, I, I thought, this child is never going to be the same. She's never, you couldn't console her. Mm-hmm. Nothing, you know. Uh, nothing. Nothing helped her. No one could get her to say anything. All she did was cry and say, he's my favorite person. Mm-hmm. Over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, the next morning she woke up and it's like she was back. Mm. You know, obviously she's still grieving and she still is today. But oh, sure. but she woke up Monday morning and could actually speak to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she um, she still wouldn't leave my room. She stayed in my room the whole first week. She slept with me the whole first week. Um but that week is such so so many things. Um, well, for one, my kids that week obviously they weren't in school, but neither were their best friends. They were all there. They were all there. They, mm-hmm. That's amazing. They never. They went to flow. They went and played basketball with a with a trainer that Will sees. He made time in his schedule from his work to make sure that they had a place to go to play. We had friends take them, you know, for ice cream and just do activities with them. It was a beautiful week. They hiked. Um, You know, even Will will say, that was really a fun week. I mean, I know Dad had died (laughs) and it was sad, but Mm. we had a lot of fun because none of my friends went to school. It's kind of like a, they made it fun. They, They made it to where the kids, you know, where they could be kids. Yeah. And the same went for me. None of my friends went to work. They they spent the night at our house. They did. I can't. The community, the way it surrounded and rallied around us. Unbelievable. Yeah. I can't even begin. I could. I literally could talk for hours and hours about all the things that happened. Mm. That just. God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the funeral seeing all the kids. I was like, holy cow. Look at all. I mean, like, seriously, there was lots. There was lots of kids. Mm -hmm. And they, you could tell they had been with y'all the whole time because they were all so comfortable. That every one of them were comfortable with being around each other. You could just tell. It was like they moved as a blob. Everywhere they went, and you know that mm. that that is amazing. And the kids that have, um, you know, that are part of our our family, the ones that we vacation with, and that we have literally, we've raised our kids with them. These these boys and these girls have are like brothers and sisters. They all wrote notes to Pat. They all put them in this casket. They all, you know, had a chance to say their goodbyes. Hmm. That's just something. You I, I, I don't know how to how to even word this next question or what to, where to start, but I know that. So it's been over a year ago, and um, 
you got three kids. You're on your own. I know you felt over overwhelmed probably numerous occasions. And so yes. I guess the question is, that's probably not even a question, but how do you, <clears throat> how do you, have you been able to handle that? What's been, it's not like for it, these, these, the support group has been very mm-hmm. important to that process, but could you speak to that a little bit about, you know, just how do you face going forward? Um, yes, sure. I, um, so like I said, that first night, I wanted my kids to know that it wasn't God's fault. Yeah. I knew from the very beginning that the only way to move forward, and I don't want to say to move through it or get over it because that's not something that I'm ever going to do. Um, and that's not something that my children or, or any of our friends right. um, are there. We're never going to get over it, mm. but we can move forward. And I knew immediately that the only way forward was with God. And so if that was my way forward, then it wasn't his fault that he didn't, you know, I I could let Satan creep in because that's what he does when, when you're weak and when you're down, um, you know, he pounces on that. Yeah. And so I knew for myself, I knew for Pat and I knew for those three kids that that was not an option. And I think saying that out loud to them that very first night in a way, made Satan say, wait a minute, yeah. this is going to be harder than I thought. Yeah. And so I immediately, um, my faith has always been very strong. And it was something that, you know, we, we made church a priority in our house. And we made praying a priority and teaching our kids. And that was something that Pat had to learn as an adult, really. We didn't talk much about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Um, he was baptized not long after we got married by Jason here in this building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and his faith is something that he has always wanted to know. He, he's always wanted to dive a little bit deeper and ask those hard questions. Um, I can look back on text messages that he shared with Lane or meetings that I know that he had with, um, with him where he would say, I, I need to know about this. I've got mm-hmm. a question. Um, he never shied away from asking the hard, the hard stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so I knew that I was going to need, that I was going to need that, um, that spiritual piece. I knew that I was going to need God. And so I dove in immediately trying to learn as much as I could about grief, about what, um, about what, scripture teaches us about overcoming things about um about peace about anything you know anything um I, i just dove in head first books are really popular gift when someone you love passes away some are are better than others yeah yeah there are some that i've bought on my own um but my very best friend in the whole world is a girlfriend from college and she brought me a journal. The title of it is overcome and it has completely changed my life. Mm -hmm. It is a six month journal. I've done it. 
I'm almost done with it a second time. I started in March, the beginning of March. My very first line was, I guess I'm going to give this journaling thing a try. Mm-hmm. And it's not only me being able to write my thoughts down, but there's guided parts too. And it's all about overcoming whatever your adversity is mm-hmm. um, and different, you know, different ways to do that. And one of the lines in that journal is, you know, um, I'm stronger because of of this yeah. adversity that I've gone through. Um, so anyway, I dove headfirst into what are ways that can help me overcome that that can help me grow as a Christian, but not only help me, but to also help my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, being overwhelmed doesn't even yeah. begin to cut it because grief as mean and as cruel as it is, the world puts everything, our lot, our, everything fell on me. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. All of the decisions, not just for my kids, but for everything yeah. fell to me. His retirement, yeah. social security, um, our cars, luckily, almost everything was in dual names. And so there were very few things that I really had to say, my husband died. Yeah. Like his truck was one of those things. Um, but I easily got it moved over to, to my name. But it was still another task that had to be done. And those yeah. tasks just kept coming. Yeah. If a bill was in his name, our Netflix subscription, how did he... You know, what was the login for that? What was the login for DirecTV? What's the login for Sirius? What's the... And some things I knew, some things I didn't. But Pat, being military, <laughs> kept meticulous notes. Kept the and, logs. And there were no... There was no... Um, I didn't have to guess about anything, about where anything was. There were no secrets, I guess. You know, mm. I, everything was just very straightforward in that aspect, which was lovely. Um because, you know, most things in the life at that point were not lovely at all. And yeah. so um, I had to manage my grief and I had to manage the grief of three other individuals. Yeah. And all four of us were handling it so differently. Yeah. So I had to learn how to do that on top of learning how to manage my household. Yeah. And take care of my dogs the yard pat was so into his yard he was a very like guy's guy i'm gonna build this car i'm changing my own oil Mm -hmm. i'm not paying anybody to cut my grass Mm -hmm. like it is me and i took now the oil i will let somebody else do that (laughs) but i i took that on and it's not something that i'm willing to let go of because i've because it was important to him. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that I still tear up talking about his grass. <laughs> but <laughs> it's something that meant so much to him that I can't let it go. I can't give it to somebody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now I can give it to my 13-year-old. <laughs> and I can give it to one of his best friends who feels the same way. Um, he's like, this is our job now. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, we're not paying somebody to do this. Yeah. We're going to do this for him because he 
can't. Yeah. Um, I'm crying about grass. (laughs) 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 But I'm really proud of being able to take care of our our yard. But it's but it's another task that has to be done. Yeah. Um, and and it's you know everything. But we you know we all uh, four went to counseling immediately. I think I I think I texted you and said we can't put this off. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm fortunate in that my attitude has always been I'm going to get this done. Mm-hmm. I, I can do this. Um I've been like that my whole life. You know, I don't sit still well. <laughs> um yeah. I've always go 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 and so this is a time in my life when that mentality has <laughs> helped me a little bit. Yeah. Mm. You know. That's part of your nature. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how can I help myself? What can I do to help me inside? Yeah. Because this grief that is taking over my body, I can let it kill me or I can let it make me into somebody who, you know, who I think Pat would be proud of. Mm-hmm. And that keeps me going more than anything. Sure. How can I make him proud? Mm. Because although I know he's in heaven, having the time of his life, I don't ever want him one time to look down here and think, gosh, I caused all this. Right. Which is yeah. so silly because I know he's not ever... That's not how heaven works. Right. Yeah. But it keeps me going. Yeah. Wanting to carry on his legacy and wanting to make sure that those three kids who are a part of him are able to move forward and have fulfilling, great lives. And you've done that. I mean, you can see that. That's that's evident. Um, at least in our grief share groups, you see, and now the people you're helping in the middle of your grief, even, uh, they see the support you're giving your kids, you're giving them that same support. I, I am, I am interested to know, I know there's probably people listening to this going, I don't know how in the world you go on. I don't know how in the world you do it. And, um, I, I'd love to know how how you've seen God work in and out as you kind of look back and how how you've seen your faith kind of develop even through this um, as you kind of look at the whole situation. Yeah. Um, God has been present in every single second since I got that phone call on February 5th. And it started with our best friends being on that walk almost directly in front of my house and me being able to say, go to my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it started right there. Um, and in that first week, I turned to my Bible. Instead of turning from it and questioning God and saying why and being angry, I turned to my Bible 
And I thanked him that he had given me something that was going to help me through it. Hmm. So I think making sure that my attitude to start with that very first week was one of Thanksgiving and not that that, not that that's what it was all the time. I spent plenty of mornings and I still did this whole year sitting in my closet crying and crying and crying. Yeah. But that's part of it, letting it all out. You know, it's not healthy to keep it in. I learned that uh, sometimes harder than others, you know, some days are harder than others, but it's not healthy for me to keep it in. But I didn't ever question why, and I haven't been angry one time. And sure, I don't like my situation. I wish it was different. Yeah. But I turned to God instead of away from him. Yeah. Hmm. And there are times when, and I'm going to do this the rest of my life because I'm human, where it's my way. This is what I, how I want it to happen, Lord. Mm-hmm. And I, in my brain, I start pr- playing out all these scenarios of this is this is how it should happen. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is how it, how it should go. And God immediately, and he speaks to me through scripture and it'll um, it immediately is hey my will not yours hmm. my perfect timing not yours mm-hmm. and i can't tell you the number of times that that has happened mm-hmm. and a lot of times it'll happen because i start my day every single morning writing to pat mm-hmm. sometimes it is four or five sentences sometimes it's a page but i start my day every morning telling him this is what's going on mhm um, and then I immediately turn to some sort of um, devotion. And it's something different every day. I don't ever go through the same book. Um, early on I did. Early on I did a lot of breath prayers, trying to just calm my nerves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have really started, instead of just reading I've started reading and rereading and rereading mm-hmm. and really diving into what the words are telling me and what scripture means. And there's the verse in Lamentations that said, you know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Mm-hmm. His mercies are new every morning. And so that verse appeared to me when I needed to hear it one day. I can't yeah. even really remember the circumstances around it, but I wrote it down because right now I, I write everything that I, mm. that comes into my mind. I write. Yeah. And that verse appeared to me that morning after I had already been struggling with whatever it was that my mind was, you know, that the devil was trying to seep in and make me see that verse is thrown at me. Yeah. But in the next 24 hours, that verse appeared to me. Four more times in different ways mm. <laughs> from different people. And I said, okay, Lord, I hear you. Yeah. You know, I, I understand your love never ceases. And that when those moments happen, that's when I'm like, this is the real deal. Yeah. He talks to us if we will listen. Yeah. 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 And I, hate with every ounce of my being that I had to lose my husband and raise these three kids as a solo parent. I don't want to say by myself because I 
am right. not by myself. You've made that clear. Um, to make me see just how present he is in our lives. Hmm. I thought I had a strong faith before, but nothing, nothing like now. And that's something that I don't want to trade. That this is something that is so invaluable to me hmm. and is going to be with me for the rest of my life. It was a really hard pill to swallow when I was a widow in my early 40s, mm-hmm. thinking I could go 40 or 50 years without Pat. And I couldn't do it without Jesus. Yeah. I could not um, could not do it without him. And so I spend a lot of time talking out loud to him and telling him, I know that you've got me. I know that you have great plans for my life. And on days when I start to try to tell you what it is that I need, remind me that you're working. Yeah. And he's got Pat up there to help him, so I know that it's... <laughs> <laughs> he's got a list. Yeah, he's got a list. <laughs> he's got a list going. I can't check those boxes any faster than, you know. Yeah. And I just have learned to just rely on that and when I do that there is just a rush a wave of peace that overwhelms me mm-hmm. and that that's not anything I've ever felt before it is I I can f- I feel it and it just calms me down when I really lean into God's got this he's going to see me through he has Mm-hmm. He pulled me through a whole year, and there were many, many, many instances of joy and happiness mm-hmm. in this year that my kids have smiled. Mm-hmm. I am smiling, and we are moving forward with Pat. Yeah. He's just mm-hmm. not here to hold our hands, I guess, you know, physically he's not here, but he's always, he's a part of us. Yeah. yeah. And so, and he always will be. And the biggest thing that I've had to learn in the last month leading up to the year mark was I was dreading it. I don't know why, uh, you know, it's because it's a year. You, It's just a big anniversary. But Pat and I talked a lot about our hopes and our dreams for the future and learning to let go of those hopes and dreams but build new ones mm-hmm. was a tough pill to swallow. Mm. But when I understood that I have to let these go because they're not they're not here. He's not here. They're not going to happen. These hopes and dreams you had with a person that's no longer living. And I know that he would want me to let those go because as long as I try to live in what was and not learn to appreciate what is or what is going to be, mm-hmm. then I'll never be taking the right steps forward. Yeah. And so I've had to, I've had to learn to let those go and to appreciate that they were ever given to me at yeah. all. And and 
and to have faith that I'm going to be able to make new dreams. Yeah. And they're going to be great. Mm-hmm. Well, Rachel, I, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you sharing this. I know that part of it's emotional, <laughs> but I also know and see how God is using you. You know, I've, I've seen it. I get to see it firsthand in our grief share group. I mean, I, I see how people respond to what you're going through and how you now are impacting their lives in a, in a story you didn't want to be a part of. And uh, I appreciate you sharing today. It's very powerful. There are several times yes. I'm sitting back over here like hoping the, the mic didn't pick up me swallowing my tears <laughs> in my throat. Um, yeah. Because Pat was an impactful man, clearly in your life. He was a great friend to a lot of people. Um, but even in the middle of that, God's using all of our stories. And I'm thankful that you're willing to share your journey. It's not always been a happy one, for sure. There's been times of joy. That's right. Um, I did I did write to Pat not too long ago, right around the year mark, and I said, I'm you know, going to let go of these dreams and hopes that we had, but I have a desire to try to make a difference in people's lives who are grieving and who are hurting. Yeah, um, Grief is something that is so taboo, I feel like, in our society, and it is something that every single person, young or old, is going to go through That's at right. some point. Yeah. I mean, the only way to escape it is if you don't love and that's no way to live. But I told him that day, I said, I'm doing, I'm able to do this and I want to do this because of you. And I carry, I carry you with me and move forward. And and I'm going to look for ways to be able to do this. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what all that's going to look like yet, but mm-hmm. knowing that this is something that we're still doing together, mm-hmm. that I wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for what I've already gone through. I wouldn't be able to help others if I hadn't once already walked it myself. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's still something that we're able to do together. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah. So thank you for letting me share. Yeah. Would it, um, Rachel, would li- I'd like to, we all usually end with prayer, and I'd like to do that right now. And again, just thank you so much. I, um, I don't know if I told you this, but so uh, the day of the accident that morning, at Sunday morning, John and my Jonathan and uh, Luke were had to go up and make an announcement, and, and, they, and he passed Pat. As he was going in, Pat stopped and talked to him because he sees running to Pat over the over the years, just different places and stuff like. He would he would see him somewhere else. He go Mayfair yeah. <laughs> like this at him and everything. And so um, he saw him that morning and said Pat was talking about some stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just he's had an impact on so many lives. I mean, uh, just because of who he was. So, uh, but let's let's go to the Father and let's pray right now. Dear God, Father in heaven, Father God, you're a good God, and you are um, always with us. You you walk with us. And Father, for your presence and for your 
love and mercy and for um, for being with us, Father. We thank you. We thank you for being the God that you are. And um, Father, we thank you for uh, this time together uh, here, talking with Rachel, letting her share, Father, openly about uh, Pat and about his 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 death and. And how she and these these precious children continue to live on and um, and continue to carry him with them, Father. We pray that you continue to watch over not only Rachel but be with Eli and be with uh, Lily and be with Will and just mm-hmm. Father. Just pray that they um, that they will grow in faith and continue to carry uh, Pat's memory with them but also do those things that they know that he would want them to do with their lives and, and, and make a difference to impact others, uh, not only um, for good, but for the kingdom, Father. And we thank you for Pat, for his uh, for all the lives he impacted, Father, and continues to impact. Um, and, Father, we just pray that, that, like Rachel alluded to a few minutes ago, that we, each of us, each of us, not just her, each of us can live our lives in a way to impact others in a positive way, to make a difference in this in this world in some way, for some small way. And we pray that you would help us and those listening uh, to discover what those avenues are and those ways you want us to do that will be and to live that out in our lives for, for good, to make a difference in this world for the kingdom and for Jesus. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our stories of brokenness, struggles, failures, and sin help others know that they are not alone. And that while we as a church are imperfect and broken, God has the ability to take our stories and to make them into a story that shines the light back on Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. It's our hope that the people listening to this will find confidence in knowing that God can and will use your stories if you're willing to share it. We appreciate your comments and feedback on Unbroken Jars podcast. We'd also love to hear from you if you have a faith story you'd love to share. You can reach out to us at unbrokenjars at gmail.com. Please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experience of real life stories and real faith that you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own settings.